What we're talking about today is really just something to kind of prepare our hearts for communion. Uh, We get to take communion together uh, a little bit later today. And as we do it, uh, this is always such a good time for a heart check. Uh, It's a good time for us to uh, prepare our hearts for communion. Uh, God's word with regard to communion uh, tells us that this is a good moment to examine ourselves and uh, allow the Lord to search our hearts Um, allow us to think through our behaviors, our mindset, our actions. If we have a relationship with Jesus, then there should be fruit to that extent. And uh, before we uh, remember the person and the work of Jesus at the cross and all that that means for us, uh, that that we would let him uh, do what he loves to do, and that is to refine us and to mold us and to, to shape us. But it it can maybe get too far down the road where uh, you start to take a good uh, examination of yourself. You invite the Lord to search your heart. And if, if, if you just stop there and just examine yourself, how many of you have ever examined yourself way too long? You know what I'm talking about? Where you, you, you start off good, you're, you're going, okay, I, I want to think through, I want to process through, I want to evaluate me and how I'm doing and how I'm feeling. Uh, you, maybe you invite in some counseling. You're trying to do the work, and that's all well and good. Uh, but, but there is a moment where, where we can get to where you discover that going too deep internally is just like this black hole that you can keep going down and down and down and there really is no end in sight. And and that's really why I think that the scriptures, uh, for all of its moments of saying, hey, examine yourself, ask the Lord to to search you and then lead you in the way everlasting, there's a whole bunch of other good scriptures that say, hey, set your sights on things above. Uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is noble and excellent and praiseworthy, etc., think about such things. Uh, There is a shift in perspective that we we need. And so, yes, I, I hope that you can examine yourself today, but I hope that you will not get absorbed in yourself today. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? We, we can get hung up and begin to think about how much faith we have rather than focusing on the substance of our faith or the actual object of our faith. I don't have faith in faith. I have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Faith in and of itself doesn't have anything to it. Faith by definition must have an object or a substance or a foundation that you are believing or trusting in. And I think we just need to have a little conversation today about uh, the substance of our faith, Jesus, the object of our faith, and not necessarily get too hung up on, 
on the object, uh, on, on the, on the uh, faith, the amount of faith, the quality of our faith today. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And just briefly, as we just kind of head into this time of communion, Hebrews is such an amazing book of the scriptures. Over and over again, what we find in Hebrews is that uh, Jesus is best. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the top of the heap. I mean, that's the general theme of Hebrews. But you know the story of the scriptures. God creates everything and it's good. It's very, very good. Uh, then sin enters the world through the disobedience of mankind. And that sin separates us from God. It separates us from ourselves. It separates us from uh, each other. Uh, sin has wrecked all of creation. And now us, disobedient, sinful, messed up people, we don't have much in common anymore with a holy, righteous, perfect God. Uh, the two of us don't go together. But rather than leave us that way, God takes the initiative. Uh, he, he takes all sorts of measures to allow sinful humanity to interact with a perfect, holy God. And he gives us commandments uh, to live by. Uh, he gives us a, a sacrificial system that the life-giving blood of an animal is going to be a substitute for our life. So when it comes to sin, some, some justice has to be served. And sin needs to die. But rather than you and I die, the death that our sin brings gets put on these animals. And then he provides a, a priesthood. And these priests that then also offer sacrifices on behalf of sinful people, just so that God can continue to relate with his people that he loves and yet sin be, be dealt with. But eventually God says enough's enough. Enough of the priesthood and the sacrificial system and whatnot. Here comes the priest, Jesus, the Christ, God, the son. And he is going to give his life once and for all as the ultimate sacrifice. And so no more of this religious system, but, but rather Jesus, God in the flesh, is gonna be the one sacrifice to be the substitute for our sin. Jesus takes the punishment that we deserved so that we get to go free. And in light of all of that, Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Hang on there for a second. What, what this passage uh, highlights is something that scripture highlights a number of times, and that is uh, two words, faith and assurance. A number of times in scripture, you'll find the full assurance of faith, or I have prayed that, that you would have the full assurance of faith, or that you would find faith and assurance. 
And I just want to take a brief minute to, to differentiate the two for you. Uh, faith, we, we get the definition for faith from the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is what we believe. Uh, assurance, on the other hand, is, is the felt experience of what we believe. Uh, faith is, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. Faith is, is what we believe. Assurance, though, is the, the confidence that we have and feel in what we believe. Are you tracking with me? And what God has in mind for us is the full assurance of what we believe, the full confidence of what we believe. But you and I know full well that there are days, weeks, or months where you do not have the full assurance of your faith, do you? You've got days where it is, I think I kind of, sort of have faith. I, I think I'm doing okay, but I'm not really sure. But what I want to differentiate to you is that if you have a momentary uh, loss of the assurance of your faith, doesn't mean that you have completely lost your faith. You will lose your assurance of your faith, your confidence in your faith from time to time. We live in a sinful, broken world. But, but here's what I know. Uh, God's desiring certainty for you with regard to your faith. But you don't get full assurance. You don't get full certainty by just deciding, I'm going to be certain of my faith. Try that. Any of you tried that before? Have you had a pastor ask you before, do you know that you know that you really know that you know that you know without any doubts whatsoever that you're saved? Ooh, man, that scares me to death. I, I, I was fine. I thought I knew until you asked me seven times in one sentence, do I know that I know that I know? Now I don't know if I know if I know if I know. I, I know the assurance is... And in rather, instead of us focusing in on the quality of our faith or the lack thereof or how much faith we have and getting in that downward spiral, what if we zoom back to the object of our faith, the person of our faith, Jesus Christ? Because my faith is going to come and go it's going to have moments of, of uh, uncertainty. I'm going to lose some assurance in my faith from time to time. But the, the person, the object, the substance of my faith is unchangeable, ever powerful. He's the answer to increasing the assurance of my faith. Me getting more self-introspective, that, that's not the answer to increasing the confidence, the assurance of my faith. Looking at Jesus. That is the answer to finding more assurance of my faith. And that's where I think the author of Hebrews kind of anticipated uh, th that our thought process. Because the next verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says, Let us hold unswervingly 
to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. It doesn't say, let's, uh, let's hold unswervingly. Let's be as confident and assured as we can be because you are so good at being faithful. That's not what it says. Let's find this full assurance and hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. Because he always says what he does and does what he says. Because there's a moment in history that we can look back and affirm that he came and he died and he rose again. The, the power of sin and death has already, already been broken by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He who promised is faithful. I love it in times in my own life where faith and assurance are at full tilt. I love that. That's great. You've had those moments. Faith and assurance together. And you're going through a moment in your life that you, you would not have chosen. You're not enjoying. And yet, because your faith is rock solid and your confidence, your assurance is right there too, you're going, oh gosh, I'm okay. That person's an idiot, or this relationship's a nightmare, or this work situation's going on, I got no money anymore, or whatever, and every circumstantial thing's going out the window, but if you have faith and assurance, you're like, I'm going to be okay. Why? Because he who promised is faithful, and we're going to make it. Paul, that wrote a tremendous amount of the New Testament, had a moment like that. Um, he had several like that. There's one moment near the end of his life. I mean, he's being persecuted left and right. He's already said that he's, his life is being poured out like a drink offering. He doesn't know how much longer he has to live before he's going to die or be executed. And he's writing to Timothy. And, and this is what he says. And this is such a classic picture of faith and assurance at full tilt together. Second Timothy chapter four, Paul says this, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I mean, that is a, you, he's got all the faith and all the assurance, right? You can see it. You can sense that. And that's what we, we want. That's what we desire. But that's not always what we have, is it? So, so what, what happens? What, what are we supposed to think when, when our assurance of what we believe starts to shake? You got to hear me again. When your assurance of faith starts to waver, that may not mean that your faith is wavering. It's your assurance that is. And we could look at other people in scripture who lived out a, a difficult journey of faith. I, like Pastor John, his message on faith last week, 
Phenomenal. So brilliant. If you weren't here, you need to go watch it. But there's so many people that have lived this journey of faith and yet wavered in it, right? They had a moment where they lost the assurance. Did I really got this right? And yet there's one, one that the scripture records that means more to me than any other. And it's not from some guy and not from some woman. It's, it's a moment from Jesus. It's a moment where Jesus is nailed to the cross. He has willingly allowed himself to get to this spot. He's been pierced through the hand and through the feet. He's been uprighted on a cross, shoulders probably separated from their sockets. He's bleeding all over. He's been ripped to shreds by a flogging. And as he hangs there, stripped naked and bleeding and a, a, before a crowd of people, there's something else going on besides the physical. All of God's wrath and hatred for sin and what it does to people, it, it's getting unloaded on his son, Jesus. Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a moment here in the sense where the father in this horrible moment, a holy God has to turn his back on his son that's becoming sin momentarily. And in this heartbreaking moment, Matthew chapter 27, here's a moment where Jesus, the assurance that Jesus has wavers. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Church, Jesus knew what it's like to be human. He knew what it was to have the assurance of what he knows to be true, shake. So if Jesus is subject to that in his humanity, then we are too. Just take comfort from that. And yet, um, that, that the assurance of Jesus uh, at this moment seems to be shaken, does that mean Jesus is faith is shaken? Does that mean that uh, his awareness of what's really true is shaken? By no means. Because we know this, we know from Luke's account that the last words of Jesus right after this are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's the assurance. It's a little shaky. And under the circumstances, I get it. And yet, the next words, I know where I'm going, though. I know what's happening here. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I, I know what's true. I am the truth. And, and so much so that really, while this is an expression of emotion, what he's also doing right here, Jesus is quoting scripture. In a moment where his uh, assurance is getting rattled a little bit, 
Uh, he calls out to God something that is, uh, I believe, from his heart in his humanity. But what he's also doing is quoting scripture, tying threads, connecting dots way back to Old Testament prophecies and predictions about the Messiah. You think he didn't know the truth still in the moment of shakiness here? Yes, he did. This quote right here comes from Psalm 22. And the Jewish people that had gathered would have known the scriptures and they should have connected the dots and they'd go, wait a minute, that's not just some line he's saying. That, that's from, 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 from the Old Testament. That's from Psalms. Psalm 22 is a psalm that David penned, but it's a psalm that's clearly pointing uh, toward the Messiah. Look at Psalm 22 verse one says this. It starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Jesus knew what was true. The assurance was rattled, but the, the, the substance of what he knew to be true was, was not shaken. And he goes right back to the, the word. He goes back really to, he's the living word. And this is how that psalm starts. But do you know how this psalm ends? It's just like Jesus teeing up. Okay, I'm here on the cross. And this does rattle us here. But there's victory on the other side. This is right in tandem with John's talking about last week. What's on the other side of the river that seems impossible for you to cross? Jesus knew the, the, the word was, was making it plain way back in Psalms. Yeah, the psalm starts this way, but how does the psalm end? It ends this way. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. It goes on to say all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. We can't keep ourselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. That's me and you. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet born, he has done it. What has he done? He's conquered sin and conquered death. He has proven that he is trustworthy. That all the things that were prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament have come to fruition. That he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to have the assurance of your faith and what you believe be rattled. But a momentary lapse in the assurance of your faith does not mean that your faith is crumbling. It means the assurance of it is crumbling. And where do you go to have your assurance rebuilt deeper into your own heart and soul? In the darkness of your mind about, no. You go to the one who came and died and rose again. 
You go to Jesus, you go to his word. You go to the one that said, he who promised is faithful. Allow him to reshape and retool what you think, what you perceive about yourself, about your circumstances, maybe even about him, and just say, I'm losing the assurance here. It's, it's like the guy in Mark chapter 9 that says, Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What, what a great prayer. And if that's any of you here today, then you just call out to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I believe. My faith is a saving faith, but I, I'm losing or have lost some of the assurance of my faith. And I want to be assured. I want to be reassured. I want to find confidence in it. And so I'm going to look to you. I'm going to look to the one who promised. I'm going to look to the one who's faithful. Will you reassure me as I press into you? I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. As we take a little bit of time to take communion together. As we do so, the ushers, if you're a part of that, you can get up and head this direction and begin to uh, pass the elements. Folks, communion is for believers. For those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, if not, then just let those elements go right by because otherwise this uh, doesn't have much meaning for you. As the tray goes by, if you have a relationship with Jesus, this is a great moment for you to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. That, that he left us communion. The night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread symbolizes my body, which is going to be broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. The same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, remember me. There's two cups in one slot. Make sure you get both. The bread is in the bottom cup and the, the drink is in the top cup. I'm going to encourage you just right where you are, uh, just to spend a, a little moment in quietness and silence. You just hold those elements and... Yes, it is appropriate right now for you to examine yourself and invite the Lord just to point out areas that maybe need a little bit of work. Maybe there's things, there's sin in your life that you should confess to him. Whatever it is, you just spend a little time doing business with him, holding a tangible representation of his sacrifice and his love for you. In a moment here, I'm going to pray. And then the worship team will just give you a little bit of time and then lead us in one last song. And you're free to take the elements on your own uh, when you're ready.
So Father, just thank you so much for these amazing people that are here in this room. Regardless of whether they're a follower of Jesus or not, or what they think of you, I just thank you so much that you love them. That you're so faithful. You're so patient. You're so, so good. Lord, I want times in my own life where I have a full assurance of my faith. But you know it's not always there. But you do have certainty and assurance for me. So would you grow it? Would you grow up for my friends here as they experience you and hear from you and learn more about you? As they press into you, would you give them a confidence that is anchored into what they believe and what they know to be true about you? But thank you that even though our emotions come and go and they change, that our feelings and our emotions are not what dictates truth. That your word does. That God, you, you are truth. Father, we just quiet our hearts and humble our hearts before you. We can't thank you enough for the grace that you extend.